NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sew her a new one. What a sentence, and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by. But Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Hey gang, so I got a new book out. It's called The Upside of Fear, and it's exactly what you think it's about. It's about the good side of, well getting scared. In it, we talk not only about the science and biology behind fear, but the psychology as well. And it's not just coming from me, it's coming from some of the best in the sport. Omar Alhijalan, Jeff Provenzano, Maxine Tate, and so many more have contributed their sometimes terrifying stories to the book to help you overcome your fear. So head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com. You're going to find the link to the book there as well as the other books. It's available in ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook right now. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast and a fun, informative one. Tell me, who the fuck are you? What do you do? Hi, hello. Uh, thanks for inviting. I'm Marta Molinska, and I am a skydiver and instructor from Poland. Very nice. Not exactly the skydiving uh, season for you guys right now, though, is it? No, not really. That's why we have the time uh, to have a chat uh, with you, for example. <laughs> Yeah, well, we have to do something during winter. Sure. Now, I mean, it's proper winter there. So you said uh, before we started, uh, it's like proper snowing. So how do you get your jump fix in when you're when you're in the winter in Poland? Uh, well, many people uh, just go abroad and skydive. Uh, I'm more uh, focused at the moment on um, preparing for the skydiving symposium coming up in two months. Uh, but generally, we also have a kind of you know break um, between seasons. And since I'm also running a drop zone, it's uh, the break that I need. Nice. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> you guys, uh, um, towards the end of the busy season, you must be looking forward to a little bit of snow. Yes, a bit. <laughs> That's true. So as I do with all my guests, uh, I'm going to jump you back to how you got started in skydiving. What was what was your experience and how what led you to the sport? 
Well, I'm skydiving uh, since uh, 2012, uh, so it's not that that long, I'd say. Uh, probably um, shorter than most of your guests, I think. Uh, so I, of course, I started with a tandem skydive, like most of uh, people who, who started around like 10, 11 years ago. Um, so that was my first jump, and that was like a super straightforward story. I just wanted to do it, um, have have it done like uh, a dream from a bucket list, that's it. But um, just like for many, uh, this leap of faith was, uh, was also a kind of, you know, a game changer for my entire life. What, uh, now, this... what, what was it you were doing um, work-wise and lifestyle-wise before you went out to make that first jump? Oh, boring stuff. <laughs> I was, I was a, a product owner of uh, financial um, services in um, as a PayU company, uh, some something like uh, PayPal, but in Poland. Okay. Uh, so uh, I was uh, kind of you know designing uh, new payment methods online. So I was kind of involved in the e-commerce market, marketplaces. Um, yeah, e-commerce still kind of uh, stayed in my life uh, for uh, at least some years because I was organizing conferences uh, for uh, for a, an agency uh, which designs websites. Ah. Uh, so that was something that I was doing for a couple of years uh, after I started skydiving. And obviously I had to quit uh, a corporation because I, it didn't leave me enough time for skydiving. <laughs> I see. That's what I love is uh, most people, if they're not jumpers, would hear that story and go, well, that was completely backwards. You're supposed to go from silly shit like jumping out of airplanes into the corporate world, not the other way around. Well, you know, like people have super different stories. Uh, mine was also uh, kind of connected to um, to a personal uh, life uh, because I, um, well, I, I, um, I fell in love with my instructor. <laughs> that's been known to happen. Yeah, that tends to happen. And we're a couple ever since. So that's fantastic. So yeah. when you're, you're working for a living, you've got the normal job, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. What does the family think when you say, Hey, I'm going to go jump out of an airplane? Uh, my mom didn't know. Uh, my dad was a huge supporter of the idea and even borrowed me uh, some money for the AFF. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, you went out and you did that first jump. And like for a lot of us, it really was a game changer. You land and go, oh, shit, I guess this is what I do now. Um, but I also asked my instructor, my tandem instructor, when we were still under a canopy, what should I do to just jump professionally as you guys? I don't want to do what I do anymore. I just want to join you guys. <laughs> and, you know, like he was like, oh, you know, it's a long, long way. You have to first, uh, you, you have to take the AFF course, then jump a lot, stay uh, all your weekends at the drop zone and, you know, like uh, dedicate your life to it. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of funny too, because it, it, that's pretty much how it goes for people that get hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I think I was kind of the same, although under canopy, I got sick to my stomach on my first jump. Oh, really? So, yeah, I almost threw up. It, I landed really nauseous and super excited to do it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know the story. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I think I'm going to throw up, but that was amazing. I have to do this again. So, Maybe you like it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, did you just dive straight into it? I mean, uh, no pun intended. You just signed up for AFF and, and that was it? Yeah, basically that was it. Uh, back in the day in Poland, uh, uh, like 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago, uh, there was not many coaches or uh, not really a lot of female jumping. Uh, there were some. I don't say there weren't. but uh, I don't know, maybe five to ten percent on the drop zone mm. uh, were were uh, girls and and ladies, uh, and also uh, I could say well the drop zone where I started to skydive was uh, one year old, so that was you know like a very first steps of uh, of the of the business. However, it was uh, 
managed and, and founded by uh, people who already had their skydiving school for, I don't know, like 15 years or something. Mm. Uh, so they they knew uh, the market very well. But um, on the drop zone, there were not a lot of people uh, outside of staff and super experienced um, skydivers. Mm. So I didn't really had anyone to jump with. My first 80 jumps were solo, solo jumps. Wow. Which is not really something that anyone could do uh, these days. Sure. Like people people now just finish AFF and after a couple of solo jumps, they start doing two ways with some, some coaches, then three ways, four ways. Um, then of course, you know, like as soon as possible, we'll go tracking. Um, and, uh, and then of course, um, just after the B license, they go free fly. Sure. But for me, uh, as I said, my first, uh, three-way jump was my 80, uh, 80 jump. <laughs> was it just because, um, of the industry itself in Poland at the time? I mean, I've jumped with, uh, and flown many, many Polish skydivers, but they were all in Chicago. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, as I said, on the drop zone, there were not a lot of people I could jump with because they were either uh, not experienced enough and I couldn't, I couldn't, well, I wasn't feeling safe to jump with uh, someone on the same level as I was. And, uh, and a lot uh, of people who were too experienced for me and they were focused on developing their own skills. Sure. So, you know, I was too much of a newbie for them. Was it, uh, um, was it disheartening? I mean, were you getting um, frustrated with it or was it just that's what you knew you had to do if you wanted to keep jumping? I think a bit of both. Um, it was frustrating, but at the same time, I actually accepted that this is the way I have to do it. Well, I have to keep jumping to eventually uh, get to the point of uh, being worthy of sure. jumping with, with the old guys. Sure. I mean, uh, experience-wise. Did you have an opportunity in those early days to travel to jump more? Um, not really. All of my money was on tickets, <laughs> uh, skydiving tickets, not plane tickets um, to, to travel. So uh, I had to, well, to be honest, I for the AFF, I borrowed money from my dad a little bit and then from the bank for the AFF and the first 100 jumps. Wow! Because I knew that if I if I have well if I jump only from what I have from my salary, I would need to jump like I don't know maybe five maybe six uh, jumps per month. So mm. that was not enough uh, to get anywhere uh, eventually. So uh, so the loan was for uh, AFF and first one hundred jumps. Then I knew that I can like keep on going without really thinking if I can afford this. Sure. And. Um, to be honest, I, I finished uh, paying uh, off the loan um, way after I even become a, an instructor. So How funny is that? I mean, skydivers go in debt a lot, but it's usually yeah. to buy the rig they don't need or the newest, fastest canopy, not just to get through student status. True. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, you must have been 100% sure that that's what you wanted because that's some dedication. Well, that's a you know have a bank move so either you sure. lose everything including money or you gain everything and i i am pretty confident that i uh in my personal um life i i'm i feel that i won what i wanted sure now as you're you're pushing through and you're finally getting to the point where you're jumping with other people did you know what direction working in the sport you wanted to go oh yeah I knew it from my very first tandem jump. Really? That you wanted yeah, to do I, AFF and instructing and all this stuff? Yes. Wow. From the, from the very first jump. So you were uh, doing all of these jumps and all of this stuff specifically to get to that. So when did you start doing the the coaching and, and working towards that AFF? How long did it take you? Um, I started coaching when I had something around 250, maybe 300 jumps, uh, that were very basic, uh, coaching jumps for people who barely finished AFF. Mm. So, you know, like um, forward, backwards movement, uh, spinning, uh, and slowing down, moving around, uh, keeping your slot, uh, you know, first grips, 
this kind of stuff but i already had the camera on my helmet which was uh the main advantage of jumping with me for them uh and um also my partner helped me a lot because he, we were reviewing the videos that i uh, took with my camera and before uh, before the student came to the uh, briefing area i already knew what to tell him gotcha and so i um i learned from him a lot he uh, he has now something around 10 or 11,000 uh, skydives, uh, including 3,000 AFFs. So, yeah, I, I had someone to uh, to learn from. So you literally showed up at the drop zone, uh, found a new path in life, found a new career, found a new partner, <laughs> all in all in one sure. jump. Yeah, that's that's what I said. It was a leap of faith and I won everything. That's pretty fucking impressive. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So yeah. I, now you've been working together with your partner this whole time. Yeah, and I at the same time recommended and not recommended. <laughs> yep, it I has can... a lot of advantages, and it it also has some dark sides. You know, like you you are together a lot, and you're together like all the all the time, all in the drop zone, at home, um, all the time. Sure. That's been, uh, I think, probably the saving grace of of my relationship with my wife is that she doesn't jump and has no desire to know any damn thing about skydiving or flying. So it's that's my thing and she does her thing. And that seems to work out. But I've seen couples that are on the drop zone working together that do incredible. So it can work both ways. You're proof of that. Yeah, it depends on people, I think. You know, yeah. there are people who are able to work together and there are some who would never be able to do so. Sure. So. <laughs> no, my wife and I'd kill each other. <laughs> yeah. So, I also thought that I, uh, we would kill each other, but yeah. You, you found a way. Each other too much. So nice. So when did you finally uh, go for, and then get your AFF ticket? Um, after, well, in Poland, we have two um, stages to become an AFF instructor. Uh, first, you need to be like a ground instructor. Uh, you can start once you have your D license, so after 500 jumps. Uh, but this is like a long path. You need to pass uh, 11 uh, ground tests um, in the Civil Aviation Authority, including um, the weather, uh, navigation, uh, you know, a lot of um, uh, things, also uh, Polish uh, aviation law. Mm. Uh, and of course, um, instructor-related uh, topics as well. Um, what else? Then you have to uh, make 150 uh, student uh, supervisions. So like a jump supervision, gear check, uh, watching a landing, the briefing, the briefing, uh, this kind of stuff. But the ground uh, job and also 50 hours of AFF ground uh, school mm. Um and once you do it, then you can have your license license issued, and this license allows you, guess what, to have the uh, ground lessons, um, <laughs> AFF ground lessons, and supervising the students. So all, all the sexy stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is what you do up to one thousand jumps, and only when you have one thousand jumps, you can become an AFF instructor. Okay. So it doesn't go like in USPA when you can do it like way sooner. Um, and there are uh, different ways to, to be an instructor, like around uh, a couple of hundreds of jumps. Um, but here you have to have the, the, the very 1,000 uh, well, only to start the AFF instructor course. The other huge so, difference uh, from the yeah. uh, um, from FA or from the USPA is that the USPA has no connection to the FAA. They work very very hard to try and have no connection whatsoever to the aviation authority exactly. and self governed So that's actually surprising. I didn't realize that Poland has them linked. Yeah, that's one thing, and uh, the second thing is that our uh, civil aviation authority doesn't uh, allow people with uh, USPA license to commercially work in Poland. Uh, so uh, they would need to have their license converted, uh, but that means uh, that they first they need to um, uh, meet all the requirements, including the the jump number, but they also have to 
have like a transition uh, course uh, to fill all the gaps, including the Polish law, as I mentioned. <laughs> so there are a lot of things that they would need to do uh, to have the Polish license, which actually slows down the process so long, so much uh, that uh, it's nearly impossible to to do it properly. Sure, they- sure. Well, I mean, I would imagine, though, the the way they do things leaves you incredibly prepared uh, if you wanted to go somewhere else and work. Yeah, well, I have my license uh, converted to USPA as well, because I wanted to have uh, both the Polish license and the USPA in case I need to uh, move somewhere somewhere from Poland. Sure. Uh, the, the biggest, uh, I would say... Uh, a catalyzator. I don't know how how to say it in in English. Like the the uh, the very idea of moving from Poland was the elections that were taking place in October in Poland. So we didn't know if the right wing will uh, win or um, the central or left wing. Sure. Uh, fortunately, we had uh, a, a big shift in in politics because the the country was wasn't really going in the right direction. But now it's getting better and better. Uh, it's it's still difficult. But the idea of moving out from Poland, that was there. So that was uh, the main reason that we wanted to have the USPA license. Sure. Uh, now having this, we will most likely have the, our drop zone affiliated with uh, with USPA. Uh, and this way we, we kind of feel that it's going to be upgraded. Sure. Well, and I mean, at the end of the day, it also just gives you the option for not having to worry about license issues if you want to travel and go jump abroad, even if it's just for fun, you've got it. So back to your... Never, li- I, was never, I was never denied with uh, the Polish license. So of course, sure. the USPA license speaks for, for itself, but the Polish license is uh, as as much uh, good as, as any other. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Now, um, speaking again about uh, the licensing, you got your license to do the the ground AFF, um, but how did you end up getting in the air? Um, so the this first license uh, I got after uh, three and a half years of uh, of skydiving, and uh, you know, like once you don't have to pay for your jumps uh, because you start coaching, it accelerates. Uh, so this gets easier. Mm. Uh, to to speed up the the um, the number of your jumps. Uh, so um, after another um, less than two years, so five years in total, I would say less than uh, five years, four and a half. I had the required one thousand, and um, my partner was also my instructor, uh, both in AFF and AFF instructor course. Uh, so he got me prepared and. Um, then I was also double checked uh, by other instructors on our drop zone and from outside of our drop zones who were actually visiting at the same time. And then I knew that I was ready. Um, to be fair, uh, during this whole time, from the very beginning, from AFF until I actually got a license, uh, there were a lot of people who discouraged uh, me from getting a, an AFF instructor license. Hmm. Uh, because they were, uh, well, they were encouraging. They were saying that it's for uh, for my own good because this is not really a job for uh, for a girl. It's, uh, you have to have a lot of power. You have to be heavier than your students uh, to be able to get to them. Uh, you have to uh, like keep them uh, tight in the door. Um, you really won't have enough. Uh, strength to do it and mm. um yeah that was basically basically the narrative that i was hearing all along uh, not from my partner he was the one who encouraged me uh, all the time uh, and uh, he was the one who told me that it's not about the strength it's about the technique yes uh, and now i also know it but before uh, before i got the license before i started to actually jump with the students I um, I could only take it from for granted. I mean, like you know, like I have to believe that this is how it really is. Sure. Well, some of the most talented uh, AFF instructors I've ever met are women. I mean, I can think of at least three or four off the top of my head that were dramatically better than I was. So, <laughs> uh, when I got my license, I was uh, a sixth um, female uh, AFF instructor in Poland. 
Wow. So yeah, that was uh, really something unique at that time. Sure. At, well, at least I think now we have still less than 10. That's, Maybe I mean, it's, I, I know that it's still, uh, there's quite a disparagement between men versus women in the sport. Um, but I also see that that's changing, uh, but that's still quite, uh, a, quite just a, a short, small number of, of female instructors. True. Yeah. I think, you know, like a lot of women uh, just can't afford uh, skydiving, not maybe even uh, money wise, but uh, you you have a lot of different roles in your life as a woman. Sure. Uh, I'm also a mother of two girls, so uh, I know exactly what I what I'm uh, saying. And uh, I can imagine that it's very, very difficult to uh, to be at the same the instructor, a mother, and uh, an employee probably somewhere out there. Uh, so yes, at least in Poland, it's very difficult to be um, well to to earn your living only from skydiving because of the uh, length of the season. We only jump from April to October, so you still have the winter to cover somehow. Sure. So you either earn a lot of money on skydiving during the season, so you don't really have to do anything during winter, which is a case of maybe, I don't know, maybe two, maybe three people in Poland. I don't mm. know. Not much. Yeah. Not many. Uh, but um, on the other hand, you can have like a second job or a first job, however you call it, but a different from skydiving job, which lasts the whole uh, year. Uh, and then if you're a man, it's it's a little bit easier if you're a woman and you have to like support uh, your family and your first uh, career and your uh, second career as a skydiving instructor. Well, that really um, that's a lot. Sure. Well, and now on top of everything, you're working as a skydiving instructor. You're a mother of two, but you're also running a drop zone and dealing with the, the skydiving symposium. The yeah. fuck do you sleep? In the meantime. <laughs> so, well, tell me briefly about uh, uh, managing the drop zone. How did that come about? Uh, that was uh, a process, I think. Um, so when I started skydiving uh, after a couple of months, uh, since I was already a partner of uh, of one of the founders, of this uh, of the uh, drop zone, I started to help out with social media. Uh, so I was there anyway. So since I'm there every single jumping day, I can help out, make some pictures, videos, uh, whatever, posting uh, every now and then just to keep things moving. Mm. Uh, and I started to do more and more around the marketing, uh, like you know, t-shirts, apparel, um, hats. Uh, flyers, um, advertising in some external media, and so on. So this is how I got into being a part of staff. Um, and in 2014, we had to uh, move from one airfield to another. Um, so we had to switch locations, and that was a big shift uh, for everyone, including all instructors and uh, staff members. So we had to like a lot of changes during that time. Uh, and we also uh, decided to change the form of our um, company. So we decided it's better to be an association. Uh, sure. Because first of all, because we what we do is actually making the sport more and more popular. And this is the main objective. That was also the main goal of the founders to have uh, the drop zone, which is focused on skydivers and their progression and have the tandems to actually support financially, sure. but not the other way around, just to have the tandem, tandems as the main uh, acts of of everything that happens around and the skydivers to just feel, feel the plane. Sure. So we had it the other way around. And since uh, the main objective was to focus on skydivers, we, we, we also decided to uh, go this direction. Um, and uh, I was asked to be part of the board uh but on the very beginning uh it was just you know to to be there and to somehow you know represent also be a female representative uh which is kind of you know um important uh but then with every year um 
I, you know, I was getting more and more um, active and, um, and yeah, well, somehow at, at some point I, I started to manage the drops on um, like in real. Well, and your previous experience with business had to pay off and, and uh, make you a great candidate for exactly that. Because a lot of the people that end up in management and skydiving don't have a business background and it can be a tough business. That's true. Well, it is a tough business. Uh, yeah. I won't believe any drops on owner if they tell me that their their life is easy and they <laughs> enjoy every every single day. That's not true. Don't yeah. believe them. Yeah, yeah. I I'll tell you, I learned very easy in the sport that uh, I've I've worked for a few. Uh, intense drop zone owners uh and looking back now i can understand why they were so intense but at the time you're like holy shit that guy's an asshole and then you're like oh it's because he's got to deal with skydivers every day <laughs> we Maybe can be so. yeah we can be an interesting bunch to try and manage there's no doubt and in, in a tough business but i also i find this this work very not only very, very challenging, but also very rewarding. Oh, yeah. When you can see uh, all the people coming back from the airfield, like no matter if it's a tandem passenger or if it's a AFF student or uh, a bunch of uh, skydivers who just had, you know, like a sick jump. Yep. Whatever. Yep. Um, you know that you create a place where people really... Uh, make their dreams come true and this is not like a you an, an empty phrase they really sure. do this uh oh. so that in that um, well keeping that in mind and uh in heart is actually what makes us keep on moving sure i mean i've been feeding off of the energy of skydivers and the stuff that we do for almost 30 years i mean it's <laughs> It's it's a uh, it's infectious, you know. You can't get enough of it, and it's just addictive. Now, um, you've gone through all of this from instructor and, and managing now, and obviously staying incredibly busy with that. But then you take on working with the European Skydiving Symposium. How did that come about? Uh, so the main organizer, uh, Adek uh, Maya Majewski, he's uh, now he's also uh, a manager of. Uh, uh, drops on in Warsaw, but back in the day, uh, he um, he organized. Well, the origin of the skydiving symposium was pretty uh, um, different from I thought it was, because um, well, the the main reason to organize the first one uh, was uh, the first uh, fatal accident that we had in Poland in tandem skydiving. Mm. So that was the first one, and. Uh, and luckily the only one, um, but um, Arek Majewski, he decided to, um, well, he went to PIA in States and he really enjoyed it, especially the seminars. And he thought that uh, for Polish instructors, it's it's super expensive to go sure. uh, uh, overseas and to listen to every, uh, to every expert and to learn. So it probably would be cheaper to invite a couple of experts to Poland uh, to and then uh, let the skydivers learn. And the first symposium was not really, well, that was a symposium, but that was only for tandem instructors and camera flyers. Mm -hmm. And that was also for free. So he, uh, in, he invited a couple of um, experts and uh, his main... Um, partner in crime was Tom Noonan from UPT. Yep. Uh, and uh, there was, this, it was a really great story because he, when Arek had this idea of uh, creating a, a symposium, organizing the symposium for tandem instructors, he didn't know Tom in person at all. He found his um, uh, contact somewhere online and he uh, texted him, would you be interested in coming to Poland to give a lecture for Polish tandem instructors and camera flyers because we had a, the first fatal accident and we want to keep the sport safer. Mm. And he replied in a few minutes with one word, 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that was the first symposium. He came and also I think two or three other experts came at that time. I don't know really know because I was not part of it. I'm not the tandem instructor. Uh, so that was not my fairy tale. And but after the first edition and uh, the huge interest that he um, he encountered because he had something around 80 or 90 uh, I think it was 80 people coming. Mm. Uh, so and he expected something around 2025 sure so that was like a really uh, a great uh, response uh, he decided to organize a second edition which would be not for tandem instructors only but for everyone mm. uh, and he also um, invited a couple of people still working with tom noonan but that was uh the second edition was still without me uh, there were some or organizational <coughs> sorry organizational issues because um the dates were confirmed very late uh, so there were <clears throat> there was not enough time to properly advertise the event but still they had something around 120 uh, participants wow. uh but not a lot well many people didn't know that that was for everyone so Distributing this information that this symposium is uh, for instructors, but also for everyday uh, skydivers and students and everyone, that was a difficult thing uh, to do, especially if, if you only had four weeks to do so. Sure. <laughs> but well, I was also, yeah, go on. I was going to say, starting out with that first symposium with Tom Noonan, I mean, he was just amazing uh, i've actually had him on the show a couple of times and he's so fun to talk to and was That's so true. passionate about tandems you know more than anything else about tandems and of course about high altitude stuff that to have somebody like tom from upt come out and talk tandems you you can't get any better than that that's true yeah. that's true i well personally i think that's why uh the interest was so high because he was coming personally yeah yeah, Tom Tom was an absolute rock star when it came to uh, being able to talk to people and to give incredible information. So I was participating in the second edition, and I really liked it. Uh, there were a lot of things that I learned. And, um, and uh, Maya asked me for um, just to have a, a short conversation after, uh, after everything was, uh, was done and, and finished. And he said that he had the idea of uh, organizing next symposiums with a drop zone. <coughs> Sorry. And he um, he figured that he would ask me to uh, organize the, the next edition with me. <coughs> you know what? Sorry. I. <clears throat> yeah, of course. Of course. It's going around the whole world. Everybody's got a nasty cough. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so just to get back to uh, to the original thought. So after the second symposium, Arek uh, just um, he he suggested that we could uh, we could organize the the next edition together because he wanted he wanted to organize next edition with uh, different drops on at the um, every time, mm. uh, which was a fun idea. And he uh, he picked our jobs and uh, to be our, to be his first partner, uh, and that was a funny moment because uh, what he didn't know about me was that I was organizing conferences for a living <laughs> for uh, almost ten years. <laughs> so that was my uh, biggest um, personal uh, challenge to combine my two uh fields of expertise sure you know, skydiving and organizing conferences must have been fun though right that's true uh very challenging but uh also very uh very re rewarding uh, i got to work with all the big brands uh and also uh some really uh amazing speakers which i i would never assume that i would meet them in person you know mm, sure uh, well so the third edition was already with uh with my uh help 
and uh, we had a very nice turnout of uh, 350 people nice. coming up. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had a great feedback from the sponsors. Um, I think we had uh, 12, yeah, 12 or 13 sponsors uh, who showed up. Um, and on the next edition, the last one that we had in 2022, we had um, 22 or 23. Nice. Uh, so that was growing really, uh, really nicely. And also we had uh, 550 people who showed oh, wow. up. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was really nice. And uh, we we got amazing feedback after the last edition. I have to say that I I have never heard so many uh, nice things about the work that I, uh, I have done in my entire uh, career, uh, both in skydiving and in uh, organizing conferences. Mm. That was the best conferences I ever uh, got to organize. Well, I mean, it had to have been fantastic if for nothing else, because you're taking the expertise from your previous career and combining it with your passion. So especially to have it turn out so well must have been really cool. Yeah, that's true. Like we had an amazing team uh, because now from the fourth edition, from the last edition, also the uh, the Warsaw Drop Zone um, joined. So the Skydive Warsaw. Um, in person of uh, uh, Kasia uh, Witkowska. So now we are the team of uh, three, Arek, Kasia, and myself. Uh, and uh, we had some, you know, like job distribution uh, and task di uh, distribution uh, between us. Uh, and I'm responsible for the agenda, for the uh, sponsors and partnerships management, and for the website and the mobile application, uh, and for social media. That's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, a lot to handle. But uh, as I said, I, I had this this feeling that this upcoming uh, edition is going to be really something. That's fantastic. Now, speaking of, tell me about the specifics for this upcoming symposium, <laughs> like uh, uh, what the dates are, how long it's going to be, <laughs> where it's at, all that stuff. So this edition, uh, as the previous editions, is going to be in Warsaw in Poland. Uh, it's in the beginning of March uh, from 6 to 8. So this is going to be a three-day event full of uh, seminars and um, uh, other additional surprises that we have in, uh, in there. But are, these are surprises, so I can't really tell much. <laughs> um, what I want to highlight, because this is, uh, this is actually very important uh, for me as a communication, is that uh, the European Skydiving Symposium is not a fair trade. Like, for example, uh, I went to PIA and I went to British, uh, British Skydive Expo, and uh, these are uh, expo events, which has seminars as addition. Mm. Uh, and we have it a bit, you know, the other way around. We have a conference with uh, expo as an addition. Uh, so the main focus and the main acts of the events around uh, the symposium is about seminars, keynotes, workshops, uh, and everything that is linked uh, this way or the other with uh, education. Mm. So all the seminars are always safety related. And we like to advertise the symposium as the three safety days before the season. Um, this nice. way we... We know that this is the the best moment, and because we have it on the beginning of March, so usually uh, on the very beginning of the of the season, um, except for the last edition, because we had to move it from March to November because of the uh, Russian invasion on Ukraine. Sure, uh, which happened uh, just a few days before uh, the event. So, like moving it, it was a nightmare. Sure, uh, but, yeah. But that was necessary because we had to focus on on other stuff at the moment. We didn't know how the the things will will develop. Uh, but uh, the the idea is to have uh, the symposium every second year, and uh, not to collide with the PIA symposium. Uh, well, we kind of work together. Like I mean, we we uh, we are not like officially partners, but we uh, we meet every now and then. We have a conversation how to make the events not to collide one with another. Sure. 
so there is a, a nice collaboration, I would say. Uh, and um, and yeah, the the March uh, is is the best moment to to have the safety day, usually for all the drop zones. So that was also the idea to have it uh, to have the symposium at the same uh, time. Sure. Uh, and um, what we now have, comparing to uh, the first editions, uh, we have five different stages. Uh, they not they're not like uh, all par parallel at the same time. Uh, but uh, we have, first of all, we have the fun jumper stage, which mm. is the main stage for every skydiver, no matter what ratings they have, if they even have the rating or the license for that matter. Uh, so this is the stage that goes and is active from the morning till the very uh, evening. Um, then we have the tandem stage, which is on the day one after lunch. Um, on the day two, we have uh, the drops on management stage uh, from the morning until lunch. And after lunch, we have the instructor stage. And on the third day, we have the rigor stage as the second. Nice. The second one. So uh, that's why uh, we also want to have the, the focus on, on the of the audience, not, not to be you know, spread for uh, between a couple of stages, just two stages at the same time. So the fun jumpers for everyone and something for professionals. Nice, nice. It sounds like it's a very well thought out organization with a specific plan, that being safety in mind, which is amazing. That's the main uh, goal to to keep our safe, uh, to keep our sport uh, safer uh, with every edition and. Uh, I have this uh, thought in my in my head that even you know if organizing the symposium has a result or of even one life which would be safe because of some information that was said or learned during the um, the event that's really worth uh, all the effort. Absolutely, it is without a doubt. Now, in regard to this one coming up, uh, um, if people are interested in going, how do they deal with, is there a registration process? Um, you guys are able to help them out if they're traveling from outside of Poland with places to stay, all that kind of stuff? Yes, of course. Uh, there is a, a, a website, which is pretty straightforward. It's skydivingsymposium.eu. Um, and you have the registration button all around the, uh, the website. Um, you have our social media channels uh, on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook, so it's very easy to find. Uh, the registration links are also um, published in every post uh, that we have, the, the sponsor posts and uh, the uh, speakers announcements. Um, uh, so the registration is very simple, a couple of fields. Uh, and uh, you can also choose the type of ticket you want because you can go for all three days or you can just choose a day uh, which you want to attend, one or two or whichever. The full agenda is also published in uh, um, on the website uh, and in the mobile application. If awesome. you're more of a mobile person, you can just download uh, the um, mobile app, which is also very difficult to uh uh, to remember, it's called Skydiving Symposium. Uh, so you just download it and you can uh, see all the sponsors' details, uh, speakers' details, uh, agenda, floor plans, uh, notifications, uh, everything that you need to know is in there. And the application is also very handy during the uh, the event because you, know, you not only you get some updates, which are crucial if you want not to be late on the party or if you want to go to the proper room, uh, etc. Uh, but also you get uh, information uh, about the, the upcoming um, seminars. You can mark the seminars that you're interested in with a star or a heart. I don't remember, but you just mark them as favorite. And then you get a notification 10 minutes before the seminar. So you are like 100% sure you don't miss it. Sure. You can rate each speaker, you can rate each presentation. We also actually have, uh, since the last edition, we have a Tom Noonan Award for the best speaker. Awesome. Uh, I mean, uh, so this is you, how, how it goes. You couldn't have named it after a better speaker, that's for sure. Now, um, yeah, that's our thought. With you, uh, for the drop zone that you're working at, somebody that uh, is thinking about getting into jumping in Poland is listening and wants you to be their instructor. Where are they going to go? How do they find your drop zone? How do they find you? Uh, 
So my job zone is called Skycamp. And uh, we are also on social media and uh, on the website. They can also ping me uh, directly on my channels. Um, I'm very happy to help and uh, to guide you through through the clouds. So, Fantastic. Marta, I tell you what, I can't thank you enough for taking the time this morning to sit and have a chat with me. Tell me about your journey and as well as the symposium. It sounds like it's going to be a hell of an event. Thank you very much. And I hope to see you there. Absolutely. See ya. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually, brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving, go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD, head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available, hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, we'll see you next time. Damn. <laughs>